This is Ann Arbor Stories. I'm Rich Ray. In the wee hours of the morning, March 14, 1966, seven cops in two Michigan counties spotted something unexpected, unexplained, unidentified flying objects, lights and weirdly shaped crafts zipping and hovering in the skies above southeast Michigan. These were police officers, not crackpots. Not since the 1940s had there been such widespread and credible reports of UFO activity. Over the next few days, more than 100 witnesses reported seeing the same lights in the sky. Dozens telling the story of a football-shaped object maneuvering around Michigan's campus, back and forth for hours. The U.S. Air Force took notice. Tales of unexplained objects in the sky and visitors from other planets had been around since the 19th century. But the word UFO was still less than two decades old in the lexicon. The late 40s was when UFO fever really gripped the nation, following well-publicized sightings by pilots, ministers, businessmen, and farmers. The U.S. government took these reports seriously, creating special investigatory groups called Project Sign, Project Grudge, and most famously, Project Blue Book. Started in 1952, Project Blue Book had two goals. One, determine if UFOs were a threat to national security. And two, scientifically analyze UFO-related data to separate true UFO activity from natural phenomena like clouds, stars, high-flying waterfowl, and pranksters, liars, crackpots, people looking to make money and get famous. One of the central figures of Project Blue Book was J. Allen Hynek, an astronomer, professor, and ufologist. A trained scientist, Hynek found positions in academia at Ohio State and Northwestern, but his interests and expertise eventually led to him being hired as a consultant during the Air Force's first efforts to investigate unidentified flying objects. His cautious and conservative nature made him well-suited to the work of investigating whether or not UFOs were actually real, and if so, what threat they posed to national security. Hynek worked on Project Sign, then Project Grudge, and eventually Project Blue Book dispatched around the country to investigate unidentified phenomena. Hynek was a UFO skeptic at heart, though the more he interviewed eyewitnesses and looked at evidence, the more value he placed in employing rigorous scientific scrutiny to the subject of UFOs. The Air Force kept an eye on the events in and around Ann Arbor, but it wasn't until the UFO sighting at Frank Manor's farm in Dexter that they dispatched Dr. Hynek to investigate. Frank Manor, a hard 46 years of age in 1966. A truck driver, thinning hair, deep crags cut into his face, a large gap between his front teeth. Father of 10 children, a country man, a hunting man, a man used to being in wooded swamplands at night. On the night of March 20th, Frank Manor's six dogs started barking like they'd never done before. He went outside to shut them up, and that's when he saw what he saw something flying through the night sky. At first it looked like a shooting star, then it slowed, it changed color, and it landed in the woods a few hundred yards from the farmhouse 
at 10600 McGinnis Road. Manor's 18-year-old son, Ronald, went with his father to investigate. They saw a strange brownish craft with a quilted exterior, lights pulsating, then moving side to side. When they got close, the brilliant white light turned blood red, and the thing made a high-pitched whistle as it whoosh zoomed right over their heads. Bob Wagner called the authorities from the Dexter Body Shop. He'd seen the same lights, heard the same sounds, watched an unidentified flying object go up and down and back up again. When the cops arrived, 40 men strong, they headed to Manor's farm, searched the surrounding area for clues, shined their flashlights in the sky, on the trees, and saw the weird circular marks in the grass. Local residents joined too, swearing they'd seen the same phenomenon. Patrolman Robert Hunnewell of the Dexter Village Police Department saw it first. Then a pair of sheriff's deputies trained their squad car's spotlight on one of the things in the swamp. A strange lighted object appeared overhead, and the officers climbed into their vehicles and gave chase. Six cop cars and 12 cops, barreling west down Island Lake Road until the thing shot into the midnight sky. Poof. Gone. The next night, more than 80 co-eds at nearby Hillsdale College saw them. The night after that, reports of strange lights in the skies over Ypsilanti, Celine, Dexter, and Ann Arbor. Football-shaped objects. Red, white, green, and blue lights. Antennae, domes. It sounded like a siren. It sounded like the ricochet of a bullet. It made no sound at all. It floated for minutes. It floated for hours. It darted around. It raced my car. Dr. Hynek stepped off the train in Ann Arbor on March 23rd and was greeted with mass hysteria. He got straight to work, touring the areas where UFOs were sighted, interviewing eyewitnesses, taking samples where he could. Crowds followed him everywhere. Hynek's investigation was hamstrung from the beginning. First, it was difficult for him to meet with every eyewitness because there were so many, and their accounts differed wildly. Second, when he could speak with them, he struggled to. Hynek had suffered a broken jaw just days earlier and stepped off the platform in no small amount of pain, his jaw firmly wired shut. Third, Hynek was under intense pressure from the Air Force to get to the bottom of this madness. They were sick of the national media attention. They were alarmed at the hysteria. The Air Force wanted answers. Dr. Hynek took two days to investigate, and on March 25th, delivered a press conference to more than 60 national and local reporters. The strange lights in the sky? The hovering objects? The thing out at Frank Manor's farm? Not UFO activity. Hynek offered a number of naturally occurring explanations. Moonlight, stars, and swamp gas. Also called marsh gas, bog gas, and will-o'-the-wisp. Spontaneously combusting methane emitted from rotting swamp vegetation, resulting in colorful little flames and sometimes sounds. Partly obscured by a cluster of microphones, Hynek, with his thick black glasses, dark eyes, salt and pepper goatee, tried to sell the media on his natural explanation. He held up hand-drawn sketches. He held up photos of previously debunked UFO sightings. He looked tired. Dr. Hynek and his findings were not received well. 
Swamp Gas led every headline, radio, and television report. Ann Arbor's UFO fever spread to the rest of the country with news of new sightings from California to New Jersey. Local reports continued as well. More lights in the sky, hovering objects. An eight-page feature ran in the April 1st issue of Life with the headline, A Well-Witnessed Invasion by Something. Frank Manor was interviewed and was quoted saying, I don't want no money. I'm just a simple fellow. But what I seen, I seen, and nobody's going to tell me different. This wasn't no old foxfire or hullabaloo. Some locals thought differently. They taunted Manor and his family, called him a crank and a nut. Prank called his house late at night, threw bottles at his porch and his truck, prowled the property looking for souvenirs, looking to cause mischief. Manor even chased a pair of teens with a loaded shotgun, running them off the property after they tried sneaking into a second-story window. Pranksters took advantage of the situation, making fake UFOs out of weather balloons and setting them aloft with birthday candles. Michigan's Zeta Beta Taos built a fake UFO on North Campus that sparked a mini-panic. The night sky lit up with flares and still more weird floating objects. The situation got so bad that House Republican leader Gerald Ford stepped in to calm the storm. It would be a very wholesome thing for a committee of the Congress to conduct hearings with responsible witnesses who have cited these objects, said the former Michigan grad. The investigation resulted in the Condon Report, which concluded that the U.S. government's 21-year study of UFOs had contributed nothing to scientific knowledge. The Air Force shut down Project Blue Book and stopped publicly investigating strange phenomena. Publicly. Dr. Hynek took his lumps and endured. He founded the Center for UFO Studies and toured the public speaking circuit, often opening his speeches with editorial cartoons lampooning his swamp gas theory. He softened his skepticism, became more of a believer. Hynek developed a classification system for close encounters with UFOs. You may be familiar with one, Steven Spielberg was, close encounters of the third kind, which occur when humans see animated occupants within unidentified flying objects. Hynek served as a consultant on the film and even appeared in an uncredited role. He's the guy in the glasses with the white goatee smoking a pipe near the landing site scene. And what of Frank Manor? And Ronald Manor? And Mrs. Manor? And their nine other kids? And six dogs? And that farmhouse at 10600 McGinnis? Luckily for him, by April, just as quickly as UFO fever swept the area, it was gone. Poof. Manor still struggled with being labeled the crazy guy who believed in UFOs. Every few years, ufologists or newspapermen would show up looking for Manor to retell his tale. He died 17 years later at the age of 64, spending his last days in the Ann Arbor VA. He was buried in Forest Lawn Cemetery. But was he crazy? Were the lights, the weird quilted craft, the sounds, all that, was it really swamp gas? or frat boys pulling pranks, or some other logical and natural explanation? Or did Frank Manor and his son see a real-life alien spacecraft? Back when Dr. Hynek stepped onto the platform at the Ann Arbor train station, back when he first interviewed Mr. Manor and Mrs. Manor and their son Ronald, after checking the scene and taking notes, Dr. Hynek climbed into Washtenaw County Sheriff Doug Harvey's patrol car for a ride back to the station. Harvey leaned over to Hynek, asked him what he thought. 
and the ufologist admitted he was stumped. I really don't know. Something was there. The moment they got back to the jail, press crowded around. Hynek received a call from Washington. He took it in Harvey's office. Stayed in there a long time. 20 minutes later, he emerged, and a reporter shouted out, What do you think of the sighting at the Manor Farm? Was it a UFO? Dr. Hynek steeled his jaw, grumbled. Swamp gas. It was definitely swamp gas. Marsh gas. Bog gas. Will-o'-the-wisp. Whatever you want to call it. When he faced those microphones, held up those sketches, said those words, the rest was history. Poof. Hey there. Thanks for listening to another episode of Ann Arbor Stories. I'm Brian Peters, the other half of the podcast. Rich is currently out on assignment, so in his absence, I've been tasked with relaying a few messages to you all. First off, a note about this episode you just listened to. We rushed to release this episode because partway through researching it, we realized that the anniversary of these fateful UFO sightings is upon us. March 14th, 2016 was the 50th anniversary of the first UFO sightings, with March 20th being the 50th anniversary of the night that whatever it was landed near Frank Manor's farmhouse in Dexter. So if you're taking an evening walk this Sunday, or your dogs start barking wildly, don't panic, and maybe don't tell anyone what you see. Second, a note about the podcast release schedule. Thus far, we've released a podcast every Thursday over the past three weeks, which is ahead of the schedule we set for ourselves. Following this episode, we'll release a new podcast every other Thursday, with episode 4 coming out on March 31st. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, or listen and subscribe on the Ann Arbor District Library's podcast page at aadl.org forward slash Ann Arbor Stories. Finally, Rich and I wanted to thank some people out at the library who've been instrumental in supporting this podcast, even when it was just a rough idea, as well as the people behind the scenes who help get podcasts like this out into the community. Visit the Ann Arbor District Library's podcast page to see the rest of the podcast the library offers. We want to send a special thanks to Deputy Director Eli Nyberger and Production Librarian Mariah Cherum, who've both been huge supporters and champions, helping the community tell stories and get them online. This podcast would never have been possible without their interest and enthusiasm. Thanks to production librarian Sarah Weddle and library technician Matt Dubé for helping shepherd this process the last few months, get us up and running on iTunes, and bring you new episodes every other week. Thanks to graphic designer Amanda Zott for creating our amazing logo, and thanks to system administrator Ryan Eby for his technical support. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Ann Arbor Stories. Until then, we always love getting feedback. Feel free to tell us what you think. Tweet at us at, at Ann Arbor Stories or leave a comment on aadl.org. Thanks for listening.